This is Jazz Stories. I'm Alexa Lim. Winston Marsalis is not easy to encapsulate in one word. Around here, at Jazz at Lincoln Center, we know him as our artistic and musical director. In New Orleans, he's a native son who grew up playing trumpet with his brothers and father Ellis, a pianist and teacher for a generation of New Orleanian musicians. Each year, for the students at Jazz at Lincoln Center's Essentially Ellington Competition and Festival, Winton is a teacher passing on not only his own wisdom about being a musician, but his wholehearted passion for the music, history, and community that we call jazz. On this Jazz Stories, we celebrate Winton's 50th birthday with Winton one-on-one with the students of Essentially Ellington. The way that we embrace our traditions and our history is all things that are in our music. Just the concept of swinging is a matter of always being coordinated with other people. When I was growing up, I'd always noticed jazz musicians, they would hug each other. I mean, maybe people hug more now, but then that was strange. I was saying, man, you see these guys hugging each other all the time? I couldn't understand it. And sometimes I would just see them a, a look, a feeling. And that's really where our, our music is, just a feeling. It's a thing that defies verbal. I can't explain that feeling to you. You all know what the feeling is. Every human being on earth understands it, and most animals. It's a feeling that's even deeper than love. It's an empathy, it's a thing. When you get on bandstands and you start to play, that's the feeling I want y'all to have when you play for us. I want to feel that coming out of your band. The deepest value that is in jazz is it teaches you how to listen and be empathetic about what you're hearing. It's a depth of hearing. I don't know if what I'm saying makes sense. It's a way to listen so deeply into something that you hear far deeper than what's being said or what's played. And what's in the music that you're playing is so much pain and suffering and so much history and so much joy and, and so much of the life of our country and so many people are a part of it. So many, if you're a drummer, there's been so many drummers in your lineage. If you're a trumpet player, so many trumpet players have been a part of it. And as you all go to college and as you all go through your lives, you will always be ambassadors for this music on a certain level. And you'll always be a part of it. You'll always be jazz musicians because you played it. It'll never change. Because what kind of music you end up playing, or if you end up playing music at all, you still are a jazz musician your entire life. So I want you all to take that with you, and I want you to learn as much about the feeling and the mythology of this music as you possibly can learn. Because the closer you get to this music, the better you're going to be as a person. Even those things that teach you what you don't want to be. Even if you learn about the periods of drug addictions and different things that musicians have done, our music does not strive for perfection. It strives for perfection of intention. That means I might let you down, but I wasn't trying to do that. And that's the important thing to know. In closing my remarks, I want to thank you all very, very much for coming here once again and bringing this weather. I want to thank you all for all the hard work and dedication that you put in. And uh, I want to thank also your band directors, of course. At the end, I always thank them, but I'm always, my daddy was a band director, so I'm very sensitive to band directing and how much they put into the kids. Okay, so if y'all have any questions for me, there's a mic, don't be shy. Hello, my name is uh, Colin Didier from St. Charles North in Illinois, and uh, I'm going to ask you about something I've, I've sort of always wondered about. How in the world does one family end, end up with so much talent and so much ability in music as yours? Could you, could you explain that background, how you all got so into music in that way? It's a lot of dysfunction. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> it was what you would think, son. 
<laughs> you know, it was. That's the closest I can get for you. <laughs> no, my littlest brother, man, we, I was, we left home by the time Jason, he was born. We Branford was 16, I was 15. We came up together, we look at our father, he'd be playing gigs for like 10 people in jazz clubs, you know? But in New Orleans, there was a lot of families playing. The Neville brothers were playing and the Baptiste brothers, always people playing family. It's our way of life. And we weren't really unusual in our, uh, where we were from. We came to New York, me and my older brother became known. We always grew up playing. We mainly played funk gigs and pop music, you know, we didn't, I would play some jazz gigs or some, uh, we played with our father, but we were so much sadder than him. It wasn't like we could play. He would just look at us like, okay. <laughs> you know, he actually would come play with our funk band. We had a big band, we played like a lot of gigs, everybody's prom. In New Orleans at that time, there was a lot of bands who played. My daddy was so hip, he'd come play with us. And he was so much better than all of us that the cats in the band would be like, man, ask your daddy if he could come make this gig. But uh, we, you know, we had, I don't, we just, a lot of us played. And then we, we were all spread out, so we became known for playing. It became like a thing. But when we were growing up, it was not, it was hard, man. It wasn't, it was hard. It was like a lot of kids, not that much money, and just a lot of dysfunction. So it's like life. And my daddy, being a jazz musician, he was always very, very direct. He taught a lot of students, so he didn't afford you the illusion of childhood. For me, I grew up always watching my father and other jazz musicians playing. They never played for, for that many people. You know, they were always struggling. They didn't make any money. They played clubs. It'd be five people in the club. And I was really influenced by my father. Like, I wanted to, uh, I just wanted to be on the, on the same vibe. He was first, he was cool. Like, somebody wanted to rebel against their daddy and all that. My daddy was so cool. You didn't, who was you going to rebel against? It's viable. You can just get out. You don't have to rebel. And he was serious about it. He wanted you to get out. You know? And he would explain it to you very clearly. He'd say, look, man, I want you to understand. I know you're getting into your thing, and they got a lot of publicity about teenagers rebelling and all of that. All great rebellions are self-financed. You know, and I want you to be free of me. But I'm not gonna pay for you to be free. You got to, and then I'm gonna sit in your crib and I'm gonna let you tell me how I'm not, whatever I'm not. But we're gonna eat your food and spend your money. And you will truly be free at that time. So you could understand him, you know. So that's made me, I saw him. Another thing I learned from my father is that he was the least pretentious person. He treated everybody the same. He didn't change his. It could be a homeless person or it could be the president. He didn't care. And I watched him. I noticed how he dealt with people. He's very respectful all the time. So I said, I want to be like my daddy. And I still say that to this day. I called him. I said, yeah, man, I'm practicing the piano. I play something sad on the piano. And he goes, yeah, man, okay. <laughs> Keep your day job. <laughs> My mom was real creative too, is. But she had a lot on her hands, you know, a lot of kids, a lot of. It's hard for me to really to explain without getting deep into it, just what it was. It just... Then we came out, we became known for playing. Me and my brother, my brother was always talented, you know, could play a lot of instruments. And we were together, so we did everything together, we played. 
So do you think that um, all that dysfunction sort of led you uh, to music as sort of an out to, um, is, is like a sort of relief or? I think maybe a part of it for me was like that. Not so much out, but I mean, I would practice four or five hours a day. I was serious about playing and leaving New Orleans. To be honest with you, I was serious about it. Like I was like, when I graduate from high school, I'm not gonna be in New Orleans. And you know, it wasn't just that, you know, just the whole environment, man, the South, the vibe at that time. There was a lot of stuff that, I mean, it's difficult to get into in a short amount of time, but it's all real and very basic. It's not that you won't understand it or anybody in here. It's all very understandable, but it's not like a, a made-for-TV movie where everybody's smiling and having a good time around their respective bowls of gumbo. Can we play the blues tonight, Dad? It wasn't like that. It was like what it was, you know? It, it's not a bad or a good. It's just not anything any, most of us in here don't know about. It was like that except we were playing. Well, I grew up, my daddy kind of taught, taught all of us how to play on some level. So we grew up with his sound. And I was always aggravating him, to, man, go through these changes with me. I'll play this for me. You know, he was, he, was, he, was, he was busy, but he would take his time and he would write stuff out. I mean, I spent a lot of my time teasing my daddy because he doesn't joke a lot, but I would be joking with him constantly. And when we get together to play now, we play mainly for him. So we want to make him, you know, we're trying to please him. So we fit into what he wants to do. Uh, we love him. We know he sacrificed a lot. He struggled a lot. We saw him struggle all those years with the music. Nobody really wanted to hear it. So when we all get together, we're cognizant first of, of him. He's so cool. Now, so far as playing with, uh, with a person, me and my brother, Brandfather, I mean, we have a connection that I don't, uh, I mean, it's easy to play with him, man. We grew up, there's no way to have a connection with another human being closer than what I have with him. Even though we've had our share of personal dysfunction between each other that's intense. When it comes to playing, just when he starts to play, I think we have to start laughing because he knows what I'm going to play. And even at this stage of the game, whenever I, I see him or can play with him, it's like, I mean, what can you say about it? <laughs> we just, we laugh at each, we laugh with each other. We'll be arguing about something when we start playing. It's like, when we goes back to when we were eight years old or seven and we were taking songs off the record and we could only write down the names of the notes and, you know, all the, all the crazy gigs we played on and kind of system of improvisation we worked out. So it's, now with my younger brothers, I didn't, we didn't really grow up with them. Jason, he has like perfect pitch and all these different, but I didn't really grow up playing with him. So uh, I have a good time playing with him, he's a good musician. Uh, with Delphio, we didn't really play with him because by the time he started really playing, we were already out, of, out away from home. So when we all come together to play, we've been on one or two tours, mainly it's because my daddy says to do it. But the first tour we went on, we actually thought with each other, man, this is so much better than we thought it was going to be. We thought it was going to be like a family reunion or something. Where, you know, you're like, oh, here we go with this. But it actually, the music was so much better than we thought it was going to be. That uh, it's, it's, it's not hard. And the last concert we did, we did in D.C. And one of our, my one brother that does not play music, his name is Ellis. He, he's, he's a poet and, and an intellectual. We call him the oracle. Because he, he, he studies all the time. All he does is study, man, all day. You want to know about the health care bill? He's read it. I'm serious. He told me, man, I, you know, I was, I was messing around last week. I wasn't taking care of business like I should have been. I said, what were you doing, man? He said, I was reading the Old Testament. Okay, so you have to understand, we joke with him all the time. And we say, when you talk to him, you have to ask him a question. Because if it's not something you're asking him, he don't understand what you're saying. Well, we were on this concert in D.C., and it was something to celebrate my father and we me and my bro, older brother Branford were joking because my little brother wanted to read a poem Ellis we're thinking man who wants to hear a poem 
you know, we playing music. We don't want, nobody wants to hear this poem. So we're standing up on the stage shaking our head when he went up to read his poem. And when he finished the poem, people start cheering and screaming. And me and my brother Branford left. We said, man, the poem was much better than what we played. <laughs> so, you know, it's more, it's like families, man. We got a little quirky thing. But above all, we just joking. And, and, and so you. I don't know if that answers your question, but it's just, you know, it's a lot of little turns in there. We don't play with our father as good as he played with James Black or somebody that he played with all the time. But he tolerates us. All right. Thank you. All right. I'm Andrew uh, from, from Canada. Hey. So, uh, and I am um, yeah, Rivers Collegiate, to be in fact. Yeah. And um, I was reading Rolling Stone just yesterday, and um, I, you were doing a collaboration with Eric Clapton. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was just wondering, uh, what's like the most kind of weird collaboration you've ever done with somebody outside of the jazz art form? Okay, the first thing about Eric Clapton is that he's one of the easiest to collaborate yeah, exactly. with. Now why? Because the vocabulary of music he knows is the same as the vocabulary that I know. Blues. Okay, blues. Yeah. And not only does he know blues, he loves blues. And you gotta think of Eric Clapton not as a star. Think of Eric Clapton as a 12 or 13 year old kid somewhere in London with records of blues players. That's how he is in his own mind. A person is not how you see them. Or speaking of Texas, I, when I did something with Willie Nelson, okay, he wears a cowboy hat or he does whatever it is. So they think, man, that's a strange pairing, you and Willie Nelson. <laughs> Willie Nelson's from Texas, I'm from Louisiana. What's strange about it? And there was not one moment of me and him being with each other that we thought, man, this is really strange. Just what we're going to play, gentlemen. So you've like never had that kind of awkward, this is weird. <laughs> I've never had awkward. I've had people's music that I didn't understand what they were playing. Yeah. That was when we did uh, something with Odada. It's a, a group of Ghanaian drummers, master drummer Yakub Adi, where we wrote, I wrote arrangements that were two and a half beats away from where they were playing. That's how far away I was from where their musical orbit was. We did a piece with flamenco musicians using their rhythms. Man, I didn't know what they were, Bulleria's rhythm. I have no idea of what they're playing. That's when I asked uh, Paco de Lucia, an unbelievable master of flamenco guitar, man, what you think my chances are of ever playing y'all's music? And he said, <laughs> he said, you got a chance to survive on some of it, but to be great, when somebody would want to learn your solo. He said, you sound good playing y'all music. You know, so some of the collaborations when you go outside of your culture and into another orbit of consciousness is very difficult. Uh, for me, I've, I've collaborated with so many musicians, none of it is ever, I mean, any, if you play jazz, you can play with any type of style of rhythm section music. So if it's drums and a bass playing, I'm not gonna struggle that much. And uh, so far as personally with musicians, almost never, I mean, oh, it's always, if you could see like Eric Clapton, or if you could see Willie Nelson, if you could see Yakub or, or Paco, or Chano Dominguez, or any of all the great musicians I had a chance to play with. Man, the basic vibe is always the same. You know, let's sound good. And, you know what I'm saying? That's on the wrong beat, too. That's the way we discuss the music. All right? All right, gentlemen. is uh, Callan Revere, and I was wondering, when people look back on your career and accomplishments, what do you want them to uh, remember you for, if there's one idea or concept? You know, the thing that I want to be remembered, I think the most is, you know, I, I guess since the first time I ever went to a school to talk to some kids was Ron Carter. 
sitting there. I was 18 years old. I was playing with Art Blakey's band in St. Louis at a club called La Casa. He was teaching at uh, Lincoln High School in East St. Louis. He called me on the telephone. I don't know he got my number. I didn't know anybody knew me. He said, hey man, it's Ron Carter. I'm teaching at Lincoln High School in East St. Louis. You gonna come over and talk to my trumpet players? Like, yeah, man, I, you know. What you want me to talk to him about? <laughs> he said, you know, man, come do, give a class. Come talk to my trumpet players. I said, yeah, so I went to his school. And uh, that was 31 years ago. But I would say after almost every gig I play, some kids are there with their horns. Some parents are there. We just recently had a gig in Philadelphia. Man, there's maybe eight or nine people with their horns. And for 31 years, I've stayed after every gig to hear people play and talk to them and try to make them feel good about playing. And I'm always the last one to leave a hall every night of every gig. And that's thousands of gigs. So I think, if anything, just whoever the people are that I, I try to talk to, or I just, I, if they remember the vibe that I, I tried to give them, which is what my daddy gave me, and which is what Ron gives his students, and all that, it's just a passing on what Snooky Young tried to give people. And if all those thousands of thousands of people, and there's a lot of them by this point, if they did that with other people, that's what I want to be remembered for that. Like, it's a feeling I will give you. I want you to remember that feeling. And that is, uh, that's the thing I'm most proud of, actually, if I'm proud of anything. That and the fact that I didn't drive my kids crazy. That is what I'm proud of. And that, that's it, the music is documented, you know, people listen to it or not. I'd say you're doing a pretty good job so far. Thank you, I like your tie, so. Thank you. Artistic and musical director and trumpeter, Wynton Marsalis. You can hear the music of Winton and the Jazz at Lincoln Center Orchestra at jalc.org slash jazzcast. And you can find all of our jazz stories there and on iTunes. For Jazz Stories, I'm Alexa Lim. This series is produced by David Gorn and me at Murray Street with support from Jazz at Lincoln Center. So consider becoming a member or joining us for a live performance. You can find complete information at jalc.org.